If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in chapter 5, but let's open up and we can get ready to be there. But before we kind of launch into that, and if you, whatever you're looking at God's Word on, whether it's your app or your Bible or there's a pew Bible um, somewhere, that's not so weird to say, pew Bible. I, I, I mean, who came up with the Word? Anyway, um, it, <laughs> I promise you it doesn't smell. I don't think. I mean, okay, let's just keep going with the sermon. This is not off on a good, okay, anyway. Um, I, I have this weird relationship with um, speed and efficiency. Like, I like to time myself on things. If you guys, is anybody out there like that? Okay, like, you know you're like this if, like, you put in the address in the maps on your phone, and it tells you when you're supposed to arrive, but you always try to beat that time. Is anybody else there, out there? You don't have to admit it? Okay, fair enough. I, I have that, whatever that disease is, I have that. Um, I get a little preoccupied with how fast I can do things or how efficient I and the people, and the people around me are. And over the last year, I was kind of reflecting on the various speeds I've traveled. Has anybody ever done this? Like you ask, this last year, how fast have I gone? So I was on a couple of transatlantic flights from LAX to Istanbul, and I've been informed that passenger jets, the average speed is somewhere between 460 miles an hour and 575 miles an hour. So I've been at that speed, everybody. I just want you guys to know that. That is, I've been doing that. But also, I would just let you know that the speed of sound, the speed of sound is 762 miles an hour. And so if you can hear me, I'm going 700 miles an hour. Okay, I just, I just you know, and then again, the speed of light we don't have to go there, right? But if you can see me, there you go, traveling at the speed of light as well. Okay, maybe not. Um, the, the, so also, just a little self-report, self-report, my average speed on the freeway is miles an hour, <laughs> right? Just around that, just roughly speaking, okay? All right. Um, and uh, also, I, I will, here's a little self-report, and I know my parents, they live up in Coeur d'Alene, they might be watching, so this is for you, Mom and Dad. Um, I, the first car I ever drove was a brown two-door Volvo, four-speed. And I have to say, I know how fast that car can go, because my brother and I got it up over 100 miles an hour on our way out to Victorville one time. So, shock to Mom and Dad, there you go. And I don't mean to throw my brother under the bus there either. Um, anyway, you guys do this. You, you see how fast you can go. Um, I, t I, can type, um, I can type about 60 words per minute. This is what happens when you go to school for a long time obsessively. Like you learn how to, how to go, how, how to do that fast. When I was younger, I did a triathlon, much younger than how I am. It was what it was called an Olympic lake length triathlon. So it was a one-mile swim. I did that in about 30 minutes. I'm not fast in the water. That's about two miles an hour, okay? On the bike, I was the fastest. It was 26 miles, and I did that in two hours. So that was, that was a lot of elevation gain. So that was about 13 miles an hour. And on the run, I trained at about 10-minute miles, which is about six miles an hour. Just think about how fast you're going on that. I think also um, my wife is the runner in our family. She ran a marathon, and um, she trained at 10-minute miles. Any runners out there? Okay, no, good, man. We, uh, everybody's just not, no running. Thank you. I'm not a runner. So that, you know, we, we, we do that. But there's something about 
speed and efficiency that I think hits us, and I, want to, and I have this kind of ambivalent relationship with it. Sometimes I love it, and sometimes I'm not so happy with it. And maybe some of you are like, look, all, all this timing stuff, that just stresses me out, and I don't want to time myself. But I think one of the things, as we look at our passage today, I want to come back to this idea about speed and efficiency. But as we look at our passage today, there's a couple things I just want to note. So if you look in your Bible, the, um, we, we started in, in, uh, in 430, but really what I want to like land on is in 5.1. Look at 5.1. In our passage today, Paul has gone through and he's kind of laid this foundation of the sort of things that you want to believe, that the sort of things that he believes that God is like and what salvation is like and what our salvation, how that's accomplished. And he spends the first three chapters talking about our identity in Christ and, and what God has done. He's chosen us. He's elected us. He's adopted us. He's given us an inheritance. He's done, he, he gives us the opportunity to express our faith in Jesus, that, to experience faith, to experience hope, to experience love, to have the power of God, that these are all things that people, as they come to faith in Jesus, are expecting to have an experience of that salvation. And as he gets into the second half of the book of Ephesians, what he is going to do then, he's going to talk about this idea of walking in a manner worthy. And today we come to this passage where he says in Ephesians 5.1, he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And Paul urges us and the Ephesians and us to imitate God. And it brings up this question when we think about God and imitating God, like what exactly are we to imitate about God? And it might feel a little uncomfortable, does it not? And I think maybe for, for me as a believer, sometimes we start to think, because in our culture, when we hear people, they're like, they're playing God, that's not, that's not like a, a positive thing. That, that's something that we like, like, hey, God is God and we're not God. And we kind of go around and we tell people like, you can't be God. I, I'm not God. God is God and God alone. And we think about this idea of imitating God. And sometimes it might put us in a little bit of a, like, hey, who, who's qualified to actually imitate God? And presuming to be like God might be a little bit of a warning sign. Now, after all, in Genesis chapter three, what is it that got Adam and Eve in trouble? They look at the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent has kind of sold them this temptation that if you take of the fruit, it will make you what? It'll make you like God. And so there is this sense of like, what are we talking about when we're talking about imitating God? And, and it should, before we talk about what it is that we are imitating, let me just say a couple things about some things that we're never going to imitate about God. There's some things about God that we will never, you and I will never imitate. Like, for example, we will never metaphysically be like God. Like in, in philosophy, the idea of being an ontology, we will never be like God. In other words, we will never be eternal. And you might say, well, look, Pastor Craig, I signed up for this thing where, like, I have eternal life in Jesus and I'm going to live forever. You, you will, but you have a beginning point, right? You have a beginning point. That will never change. God has no beginning and no end. Now, we have a beginning point, and if we experience life in Jesus, we will never have an ending point because we will be with him. But we will never, but we will always be finite. We'll always be created, right? 
So God is eternal. We are finite. We don't imitate him in that way. I think the other thing is this, that God has all power. He is omnipotent. He has all power. And we will never, I mean, we might approximate, right? We have abilities and God empowers us, but we never have the full abilities of God. God is omnipotent. We are, again, finite. And so there's some ways that we will never imitate God, and there are other ways that we will uh, imitate God, that we would be like God. And in the ancient world and in the Jewish mindset, imitating God was not, they might not have had as many qualms about this. For example, like if, you, if you've read your Bible for any amount of time, you might remember in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19, one of the things that is, that is, is commanded and then repeated in the book of 1 Peter is that the Lord says, in, in Leviticus 19, too, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for the Lord your God, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy as I am holy. And, and Peter repeats that. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount urges, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you because in that way, you will be like God. He says, you'll be like sons of the Father if you do that. And he says, because God, God loves his enemies. He pours out blessings on them. The sun shines on the righteous and the wicked alike. God gives his blessing. Like this is called common grace. And that we approximate God's character in that. And even back in Leviticus 19, there's a string of instructions. And every time God gives an instruction in that chapter, at the end he says, you know, honor your father and mother because I am the Lord. And every command he punctuates with this idea because I am the Lord as if all of these instructions are coming out of the character of God. And so one of the things that as we do this and as we, we work through this, we note that what we might not imitate the metaphysical aspects of God. God is God, like he's essence, being, he's not, we're not like him. But there's other things that we are called to approximate of God, his character in particular. Luke 6.36, Jesus says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. And what we note is that as we think about imitating God, and what, what Paul's going to say here about imitating God, is that even if we don't share metaphysically in who God is, right, that we will share in the life of God and the character of God. The way that God works in this world, his sensibilities, his love, his mercy, that we will share in those things, and we will actually imitate him. Earlier in the book, in 4.18, if you want to look there really quickly, one of the things that Paul's talking about, about the Gentiles, because he's talking to the, he, you know, the, the, the people of, of the Israelites, the Jews, they know the, the, the scriptures and they know all the covenants and things like that, but the Gentiles, they didn't know about these Jewish scriptures. They didn't know about God. And he says uh, that they were, they were ignorant. If you look in 4.18, he says they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of of God. This idea of the life of God. And now in 5.1, he's, he's picking this back up again and talking about, well, what is the life of God like? And now he talks about imitating God, be imitators of God. And so what I want to do this morning is just kind of explore this idea. What is it that we're imitating? 
How do we imitate God? And what in particular stands out about the way Paul talks about this? How do we imitate God? You guys with me? All right, all right, so here's the deal. Um, in 5.1, there will be imitators of God, and it says, as beloved children, okay? One of the things that we note in the ancient world, as well as today, maybe not as much today, um, but in the ancient world, there was this idea that children would actually step into the role and character and identity of their parents. We don't have as much of that today. Sometimes we do, right? Sometimes when we grow up, we're like, I don't want to be like my mom and dad. Does anybody, like, I don't, no, no show of hands here, especially for my family, okay? Um, but sometimes we, we kind of balk at that. But in the ancient world, this idea that, that children would actually become like their parents and carry on the family traits, and this idea that um, the, the life and character of God, if we are, if we are, Paul will say that, um, that you are beloved children. You've been adopted by the Father. You, you have your family of origin, and you've got your own parents that you might uh, be, imitate or look like or be like, but you've been adopted into this new family. You've been given an inheritance in that family. God is your Father we are his children, we are, and it says that we are his beloved children. And there is this family likeness, as we, we've talked about this before, but as we come into this family, we begin to bear the family likeness even as we bear our own family likeness. And for me, like for my own family, maybe you guys have experienced this too, those of you who've had kids or, or even grandkids, that sometimes you see family resemblance from generation to generation. So like I look, there's one picture we have in our house when the kids were young, but um, it's really clear like Kelly, Kelly's got awesome eyes, okay? I, I don't, you know, I don't want to, spoiler alert, but my, my wife's awesome. Um, and she's got, she's got eyes and in her family, and so Wesley and Nate, our oldest and our youngest, have her eyes. And in this one picture we have in our, in our dining room, you can totally see that their eyes are like her eyes. And that Eli and Emma, the middle, our middle ones, have really my eyes in that. And so, you know, and, you know, I've, I'm, you know, I'm not hard to look at either, right? Okay, sorry. All right, here we go. I don't want to sell myself short here. All right. And then um, Eli, our second, our second son, Eli, um, Eli is like a DNA clone of me, right? Like our baby pictures, you put our baby pictures side by side, you can't tell. Like, we look exactly the same. So sometimes with Eli, I'll be like, all right, take a good look. Like, this is you. This is you later in life, okay? Um, so, but this idea that we, we have, we see this family resemblance. And it's one of the things that the Apostle Paul is bringing out here. Like, yeah, you have your family resemblance. You have your family of origin. But even being adopted into this new family... The idea is that you would begin to take on not only the appearance of your adoptive father, but the habits of your adoptive father, the mannerisms of your adoptive father, the sensibilities, the love, the mercy, the way your adoptive father interacts with other people, that you would take that on, be imitators of God as beloved children. 
The thing about having God as your father is that, um, unlike me, like Eli, he's going to inherit a lot of things. Hopefully, you know, not the dad's mad side of everything, but, um, uh, but having God as your father is you get all the good and none of the bad, right? This is why God, this is why God says, hey, no matter, you might have an awesome dad, but it's not perfect, and so we're going to adopt you out of your family of origin. We're going to adopt you, and we're going to reparent you, right? I'm going to be your father. Jesus is going to be your elder brother. The Holy Spirit's going to be the empowering presence in your life, and we're going to, and we're going to reform you. We're going to reparent you, and you might have some bad habits, some dysfunction. I dare say, I know no family in here has any dysfunction in it. You all communicate perfectly, and there's always, always harmony, right? Okay, but the, your heavenly Father says, "Hey, look, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna communicate with you clearly. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna be with you. And as beloved children, then imitate your Father. We get to be reparented. We lose these dysfunctional ways. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And then in verse two, and walk in love." As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I think one of the things about being adopted, we're adopted into this family, we're given, the Father now is modeling what it looks like, what is, what, modeling what healthy relationships look like, even to the extent of like, love your enemies, like the Father does that. Imitate him. Love the people around you. Give sacrificially, the Father does that, and we then step into that particular role. But probably the most significant thing about this being adopted, having an inheritance, imitating God, is that this is all done in love. We are children, but we're not just children. He could, just, he could have just said, be imitators of God as children of God. No, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk, don't just walk in a manner worthy, walk in love. You are beloved by your Father. And then Jesus is not just the Father, it's Jesus too. Like Jesus gets in on this. It's not just being modeled by your heavenly Father. Not only are we imitating God the Father, we're also imitating Jesus, who might be a little bit more accessible to us, right? Because he's human, like we are. And so this idea of imitating, that you have love is what you have received. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And what does his love look like? It's self-emptying. He gave himself up. It wasn't that the Father gave him up. He gave himself up for us. And this idea that the Father loves us, Jesus is loving us, and that love surrounds us and it begins to reform us. Love is what you have received. Love is what we're looking for. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. I think where I want to I kind of land for this, for this message in, in a lot of ways is this idea of, of walking. This is the other thing about as we imitate God. And as we think about well, what is it that we imitate, what, what, what can't we imitate about God and what can we imitate about God and one of the things that really stands out and stood out to me this week as I was thinking about this passage is this idea, again, of walking. And we talked about, again, 
Paul sets up the first three chapters as these things to get into our souls, to understand, to get into our minds, and that we're transformed then from the inside out, that once we get this on the inside, it begins to work its way out and we begin to walk in a manner worthy. And we've talked about this idea that when Paul wants to talk about living this sort of life and getting this salvation into our heads and into our hearts, in the first three chapters, the theology of this, he then turns the corner and then starts talking about how do you live this out? How do you live this out? And the, and the metaphor that he gives is walking. We've talked about the two, the two paths idea in Jewish uh, wisdom literature, that there's a path of the righteous and the path of the wicked, that we're going to walk on this path. Paul says to walk, and elsewhere in the book, there's, there's a number of other places. I'm just going to read a few of them. You don't have to turn there. In 2.10, He says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to walk in good works. In 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. After these first three chapters, this is the calling. Now walk in a manner worthy of that. He warns also in 4.17, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Remember that word futility from Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, that he uses that word and he says, don't walk in the vanity of the mind, the meaninglessness of the mind. He'll later on in the book in 5.8 talk about walking as children of the light. And at the end in 515, he'll say, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This is a a governing metaphor for the end, the second half of Ephesians. And I want to just say something about my kind of obsession with speed and efficiency and the idea of walking. God is not unfamiliar with speed. Can we agree with that? Like God created this world. I joke that you're seeing me at the speed of light, right? Like God made that. Like God knows, God knows that light travels 186,000 miles per second. One second from the moon. Eight minutes from the sun. God knows what the speed of sound is. He made that. You hear me at the speed of sound, right? Like 700 miles an hour, boom, there you go. It feels instantaneous, it's not. And God knows how fast it takes for sound waves to make it through our atmosphere because he made that. He's not unfamiliar with sound. God's not unfamiliar with flying, even flying fast. And there are times where he talks about you will mount up with wings as eagles and you will fly. And he could have said, hey, fly in a manner worthy, right? That's like Southwest Airlines, I think, right? Or I'm sorry, I, 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 I don't disparage any, uh, any uh, air carriers out there, okay? Strike that from the record. Um, and there are times where God does say we'll soar and we'll, we'll fly. And he could have said, look, run in a manner worthy, And there are times where he does say, look, run the race that has been set before you. There are times where the Christian life is compared to running. 
to run the race set before you. But more than anything else, when the writers of the Bible sit down to talk about how you live your life and how you have a relationship with God and even how you imitate God, they tell us to walk. Kasuke Koyama, who's a Japanese theologian, notes that when God wants to relate to us and love us, what He does is He walks with us. And he wrote a brief essay called, The Three-Mile-An-Hour God, because that's the speed of walking. 20 minutes, 20-minute miles, everybody. The three-mile-an-hour God. What is the speed of love? It's not the speed of light, although the speed of light is amazing. It's not the speed of sound. And when you hear the sonic booms, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. It's not the speed of commercial airlines, in spite of the fact that it can take you to your loved ones or see things that you would never have seen before. The speed of love is certainly not going 80 miles an hour on the freeway. My wife reminds me of that, as many of you have been reminded about your speed on the freeway. Or even this last year, we were um, we, we basically bribed our son to run an under seven-minute mile at school. Like, it's like the mile day. He's like, I'm not going to run that. We're like, hey, we'll give you like 20 bucks if you break seven minutes. <laughs> like, we're bribing our kids to go faster. Like, I, no, nobody else has ever done that. That's okay, okay? The speed of love is not even a 10-minute mile or a sub-seven-minute mile. The speed of love is three miles an hour. When God wanted to demonstrate His love for us, what He did was He sent His Son to walk with us. Because He knew that the speed of love is three miles an hour. It's walking with someone through their life with the good and the bad. When Paul urges to imitate God, he doesn't say run, he doesn't say hurry, he says walk. You want to be like God? Spend some time walking. We might even go so far as to say that the speed of love is when Jesus actually comes to a full stop. God sends him to walk with us, but later in this passage, he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus was stopped. He was affixed. He was bound to the altar and gave himself up. He went from three miles an hour to zero miles an hour. 
for us. Koyama says this, we live today in an efficient and speedy life. We're surrounded by electric switches. We love switches. They're fast. Who among us dislikes efficiency and smooth-going, comfortable life? We believe in efficiency, and there's greater value in efficiency and speed. But Koyama goes on to say, God walks slowly because He is love. If He is not love, He would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed, a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life. Whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by the storm or not, it goes on at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, therefore it is the speed the love of God walks. And as I've been reflecting on the speeds I've been traveling this year, planes and buses and the freeway, man, some of the most significant speeds and moments that I've had this last year have been about walking with people, walking with Kelly just having conversations. And we joke, we look at our Apple watches, and we're like, hey, let's see if we can hit 17-minute miles or something like that. Like, we're trying, you know, let's get the speed up or something like that. And we, we do, we, we will walk fast, but never too fast to have a conversation. I have a friend, Dan. We want to um, hike Half Dome, and we've been trying to get in the lottery. You got to get a lottery to go up to the top of Half Dome, and we're trying to do this. But on Fridays, we, we hike together, we walk together because we got to train because we're old, and if we don't train, we're going to die, right? I mean, literally, we're like, we'll die. Um, but we're, we're training, we're doing this, and, but some of the most meaningful conversations that I've had is with my friend Dan because we walk, and we walk 20-minute miles. We literally walk three miles an hour. It's the speed of companionship. It's the speed of support. It's the speed of being listened to. It's the speed of being able to tell a story. One of my favorite stories of Easter is afterwards, you've got these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Emmaus is a long way away. It's like, it's, it's, it's almost 12 miles away from Jerusalem. As they're walking like Jesus, he's like, I'm going to walk with these. Like, he's risen, and they don't know it yet. And so, and they're all bummed because we've been following Jesus, and, and he's, he's, he's gone, and they, the Romans have killed him, and what are we going to do? Like, we've got to go back to fishing and whatnot. And Jesus is like walking with them. He's like, hey, why are you guys, what are you guys talking about? And they start telling him, and then Jesus starts talking about, oh, the Messiah had to come and suffer and die. They're finally, it finally reveals to him, and they realize at the end, and Jesus disappears, they realize he was walking with us the whole way. Three miles an hour. It's the speed of love. I think the other thing about walking 
And we're going to have a chance to come to the table and to be invited by Jesus. And to be reminded. And this is the thing. No matter how forgetful you have been, even as we were, as we were worshiping, one of the things for me is um, I go through this, uh, this, this prayer at the end of the day, and um, it, there's this reminder, God rejoices that you come no matter how forgetful you've been of him all day. And even as we were worshiping, I was just reminded, look, Craig, no matter how forgetful you have been, look, God rejoices that you come, and we're going to have a chance to come. God rejoices that you come, no matter how forgetful you have been. Like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, one of the things that we remember now is he has been walking with you the whole way. Jesus walked in with you into this room. Jesus will walk out of this room with you. He will walk with you through your entire week. No matter how forgetful you might be, Jesus knows the speed of love, and it is walking with you and me. And we have a chance to remember that today. One other thing about walking Progress feels slow when we walk. I was just talking with Brian Phipps about this at the elder retreat. Brian rides, he rides a mountain bike. And like there are times where I've, I've, ridden, I've ridden my mountain bike on the trails that I walk on. And like I like riding my bike because I can make more distance. And like when I'm walking, I feel like I'm going too slow. And sometimes we feel like, look, when we walk, the progress is slow. I'd rather get in my car or get on my bike or get on a plane and make the progress quick. Like I can do it quick. But for some reason, God seems to think like, look, the, the pace of love, but the pace of growth is also walking. And it's a little bit at a time, but make no mistake, if you walk all day, you will wake up in a different place, right? And when we begin to walk in Jesus and walk in the Spirit and walk in the love of God, it might feel slow and the progress might not feel good, but I will tell you what, if you walk in that, you will wake up in another place. God will move in your life. And if you walk every day, a year, five years from now, ten years from now, you will wake up and you will realize, I am not the same person I was when I first came to faith. God has been working on me. The family resemblance is rubbing off on me. I have been walking with Jesus, and I'm becoming like Him, slowly, but truly. Three miles an hour is the speed of love, and it's the speed that Jesus walks with you and I.